when, when, when something happened or somebody would ask a question or somebody did something wrong, you'd have that gut feeling. You'd have that check in your spirit that you would knew it was right or wrong. And that is the helper. That's what God, that's what the Messiah said was going to come after he was gone, was his spirit was going to come and it was going to, going to be help you to remember the words of Yeshua and all the things that he commanded. And that spirit inside of you was that gut check that everybody has and everybody's still sitting in church on Sunday morning. There's a lot of people that still have that too. But then we come into knowledge. We come into what we call truth. We learn about Torah, the commandments, those teachings. And those things we read though, we finally open our Bibles from page one instead of two thirds through the book. And you go back, you start reading and then you realize that there, everything that you knew in your spirit is confirmed with words on a page. Amen and amen. But what happens is people go so far into that, go so far into the truth, go so far into the words on the page that they then forget that immeasurable feeling that's unquantifiable, that's in their heart, in their soul, that speaks to them and tells them right and wrong. But yet, for the most part, our movement is very, very comfortable with staying the same. Don't you dare take the plastic off of grandma's couch. quickest way to get beat. We're worried if we say Jesus. We're worried if we say Yahweh. Because it's Yahovah. It's Yahuwah. Tell you what, none of us are Hebrew scholars. So let's just do the best we can. We allow semantics to define us. And those semantics drive a wedge between us and others. Especially in the generational gap. Let us always be mindful that it's entirely possible that the trials that we're faced with are specifically designed by our Creator to give each one of us the opportunity to exercise our faith like our father Avraham. Let us respond in faith as our father Avraham did. Let us answer the call like our father Avraham did. And may our faith be counted as righteousness. We have so many brethren here today who love the Lord your God, who love the Lord their God, with all their mind, with all that knowledge. They focus their mind upon the things. They study the Word and they, they love God because of the knowledge and the instruction with all their mind. But do they love the Lord with all their heart? Let's stop fearing the guy hiding in the bushes there. It doesn't actually exist. It was a Walmart bag that blew around. Let's not start fearing this food or that food or this person or that person or what we're going to look like or what are they going to think about us. Let's start fearing God with everything we have. If we fear God with everything we have, what can touch us? Who shall we fear?
Shalom and welcome to our live stream. My name is Chris Frankie and I'm one of the pastors here at HFF. We're glad that you've joined us. If this is your first time joining us for our service, welcome. The service is going to start in just a couple of minutes. At Hebraic Family Fellowship, we are a family-centered fellowship. We believe that the most important ministry that the Lord has given us is to our own home, to our wives, our husbands, to our children. We're glad you're here with us. We pray that your Sabbath has been blessed. And we can't wait to meet you in person one day soon. Shabbat Shalom. Miss Ellen, Miss Carol, guys, it's good to see you guys. Everybody having a good week so far? Yes? Well, I can tell you I'm having a fantastic week because spring is here, along with all the allergies, and I will take that. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. That's not possible. So I will take that. We got the doors open. The sun is shining, and... It's a beautiful Sabbath day. So welcome to HFF. We got Dr. Deb is here with us today. She is going to be uh, sharing on the message entitled Love Hurts. I enjoyed making that graphic for you yesterday afternoon uh, with that crown of thorns and all that. That was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we've got Ephraim is doing the first five this week. Uh, we've got Amy doing worship. And a uh, couple of prayer requests just to keep in mind, guys. Uh, Daniel and his two eldest left out yesterday. Um, they uh, just got back, or he just got back from Israel from being there for about 10 days, turned right around and left on a road trip. They are headed out to California. Right now they are in, I believe, uh, the New Mexico area with the Herreras and the Leesons, friends of HFF for a long time, um, spending the Sabbath with them. They're headed to California, hopping on a plane, going to New Zealand. And so um, he told me all the terminology and the things I was supposed to say, and I can't remember. So... 
That's what happens when you get older. You forget things like that. So, But he's going to be uh, in New Zealand for about 10 to 14 days. Uh, he's going all throughout New Zealand doing a teaching tour over there. He's got his daughters with him. Uh, going to see the uh, Katowns, Uriah, a lot of friends at HFF over there. So um, we need to be praying for him and his family. We need to be praying for Cam. Cam is uh, on his way back from Israel, first thing, well, technically overnight with the time change. So Cam will touch down, I believe it's at JFK, around 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, and we'll be back here in Oklahoma City around about 11 p.m. So uh, super excited. Maybe we can get Cam to uh, tell us in a week or two a little bit about his journey to Israel. He uh, has spent the last 15 days uh, going throughout Israel uh, with a whole bunch of camera equipment and taping teachings and sites and things in the land. And so uh, very excited about hearing uh, what his trip was like. Uh, I had a chance to film some Rico and some other th- other things that were over there. So we're very excited for that. Um, Jude, your hair looks good today. Good job, buddy. I'm always noticing the hair. So, yeah, you can smile. It's okay to smile. Next week, we got uh, Dr. Dina Dye, who is a, a best-selling messianic author. Um, she actually was the first guest speaker that we ever had here at HFF. Uh, and so she will be back next week. Um, she'll be here to, to teach. I don't know exactly what she's going to teach on, but uh, I enjoy every time that she does. And so uh, next week, Dina Dye will be here during our normal service. We'll also have a kids class next week. While she's teaching, um, Ephraim will get something put together for us. Uh, For those of you who are new with us, either online or in-house, we are a family fellowship. So we basically want the family to be a part of the service as much as possible. So enjoy. The kids uh, can run around. They can participate. We want them to participate uh, because ultimately we're here technically for them. I mean, seriously, if, if we're here for ourselves and we're not doing anything for the next generation, then, uh, you know, we got, we got a problem. So we need to be here pouring into all the young families that are here. Continue to pray for Steve and Alicia. That reminds me of a young family as they are on a 90-day contract uh, for Stephen's medical um, RN position in uh, Albuquerque, correct? Uh, so they're about halfway through, uh, not quite halfway through. About a third of the way through his 90-day thing out there. So we need to be praying for them uh, and all of Stephen's family that's out there. Um, Real Life Marriage Group next week, 6.30 at the Wigginton's home. Um, the Fosters will have something fun to put together for you guys to get together and do with that. Uh, any other things I'm missing here? No? No? I talked a lot. So why don't you guys get up, find somebody that maybe you don't know, maybe somebody you haven't seen in a while. I'll make sure to turn my phone off before we start worship as it's going off up here. And uh, we'll go ahead and get into a time of praise and worship.
Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the Sabbath day. We thank you for our church. We thank you for the community. Father, the beautiful sunshine that is outside spring has sprung. Father, continue to make us a new creation, to take us back to the garden with you and just pour out your spirit in our midst, Father. Father, we invite you to come and have your way with this service. May everything that we say, every lyric we sing, every melody be pleasing to you and bring glory to you alone. For it's in the name of Yeshua we humbly come before you. Amen and amen.
Father first not just to know you Father not just to know about you but to feel your presence move Father in our lives in every conversation we have in everything that we do whether it be at work at home that you would be glorified in everything that we do. So Father, come and show us your glory and empower us by the power of your Ruach HaKodesh that we can do greater things in this city than this city has done before. Because Father, by our own strength, by our own might, by our own knowledge, by our own power, we cannot do it. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing we cannot do. That you would make Norman, Oklahoma, a beacon of light for Yeshua the Messiah. And that the chains would fall off of this city. The chains would fall off of the lives of the individuals who are struggling, Father. The ones who are looking to money. The ones who are looking to alcohol and substances. The ones that are looking to things that are not of you, Father. That those chains would fall off, that those veils would be removed, and they would see that Yeshua is everything. 
that they would see the glory of the Most High God. Manifest itself in their life. dwell in each and every one of our hearts just like you dwelt in the middle of the temple. Like you dwelt in the tabernacle with your people, Father. Fill our hearts with the Spirit of the Lord and ignite that fire.
we get ready to head into the time of Purim tomorrow, into the spring feast, the festivals of the Lord, I want to ask everyone to come down to the front. If you would like for one of the elders to pray with you during this time as we cleanse our hearts, as we focus on being one with the Father in these feasts, in this time.
throughout the course of the scripture. There are a couple of themes that ring true. The Lord blesses his people and his people become lazy and they pervert the commandments he has given us. The Lord sends someone to turn their hearts through repentance. And then the Lord reestablishes that people. Tomorrow, some will celebrate the festival of Purim. A time in which the adversary, the opposition to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob sought to annihilate God's people. And by Mordecai and Esther listening and obeying, God worked through them to save his people. Just to be at his feet. Just to be in his presence on our knees. To know that time after time after time, throughout the beginning of time, our Heavenly Father has shown himself mighty on our behalf. I believe he is still alive and moving in our midst every day. I believe the birds chirping, the wind blowing, the trees blossoming are just some of the ways that you can see that his creation in the garden still exists to this day. That he is still making a new creation every day to get us back to the garden and the creation story. I believe that God has the power to heal your physical ailments. I believe God has the power to protect you from viruses. I believe that God has the ability to sustain your financial shortcomings. I believe that God can repair marriages. I believe that God can repair the relationships between parents and children. I believe that there is nothing that God cannot and is not still doing. He is still doing all of it today. Whether we give him credit for it, whether we see it or not, he is doing it. He is still doing it. Father, for those in our community who are struggling, whether it would be with physical ailments, Father, whether it would be with financial ailments, whether it would be with mental or spiritual or emotional ailments, Father, I ask that you would reach down into the inner beings of their heart, Father, and you would ignite it just like your Holy Spirit fell in the temple. 
that during this season leading up to the spring feast, to the renewal, Father, that we would be working on our hearts and our lives now, that we would not become a statistic of Christianity or Judaism or this world, that we would go further. That everything we read about in your word, Father, that you have given us, that we would believe is still capable today by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. And we wouldn't minimize you, Father. We wouldn't box you in. And we wouldn't minimize just how wonderful and how gracious you are. That we would just come and sit at your feet. And let the power of your Ruach HaKodesh utterly revolutionize our lives. That we would not walk out the commandments, Father, by our own will and our own knowledge. That we will walk out the commandments, Father, by the leading of the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would change our hearts and allow us a love that is supernatural. When the world tells us that we're supposed to be against everyone. Father, for those who are still mourning the loss of a loved one, whether they still be alive, Father, or they've ceased to exist in this realm. Strengthen them. Give them wisdom, Father. Give them discernment with how to come to peace with those situations. Father, fill us up with joy. Fill us up with compassion in all the works of the fruit of your Spirit, Father. For it's in your name that we come before you, Almighty One of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen and amen. All right, kiddos, it's that time again. Grab your balloons and invite your friends. I'm proud that you guys are listening to NF. When I was your age, I was not listening to Christian music. I don't know. <laughs> I actually, I say not listening to Christian music, but I was listening to some uh, Buffalo Springfield last night. <laughs> and the lyrics, <laughs> the lyrics seem kind of prophetic. All right, let's lift up a prayer on these beautiful little kids this week. Heavenly Father, we come before you here on the sa this Sabbath day, and we thank you, Lord, for all of these beautiful, shining faces that are before us here in our congregation underneath this tallit. We lift up the ones that are not here as well, Lord, and we thank you for the opportunity here every Sabbath that we can pour out a blessing upon these beautiful little children before us, Father, for the joy that they bring to our lives, the opportunity that not only as families, but as a community, that we can help to watch over, protect, and raise up these children, Lord. May we always have eyes to uh, watch out for what would cause them harm and to protect them. Father, even from um, them running through the hall all the way to whatever spiritually might try to come against them, Father. Lord, I pray that you would always blunt the plans of the enemy, Lord, that you would uh, cast out any spirit that is not of you, Lord. May you protect these children, guard their eyes and their ears, anything they might see and hear. 
Father, protect their heart and mind, Lord, from uh, the wiles of the enemy and those that would attempt to consume their thoughts, consume their emotions, and fill them with a spirit that is not of you. May you fill you, them with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon them <clears throat> in all things. Father, give them the fruits of the spirit. Have always the joy and peace and love and patience be upon their hearts in everything that they do. Father, I lift up the parents and the elders that have to uh, take care of these kids on a regular basis, Lord. The struggle that it can be at times. Give us the strength we need uh, to keep up with the uh, energy of each and every one of these little ones, Father. Pray that you would just give us your wisdom, your wisdom, Lord. Not the knowledge of man, but the spirit of wisdom, Lord, that we would speak life into these kids whenever uh, we are teaching them, educating them, or playing with them even as well. We lift up the sons, Father, to be as Ephraim and Manasseh. We lift up the daughters to be as Ruth and as Esther. And Father, may your words, uh, the stories of old, your commandments, your mitzvot, always be upon their hearts in everything that they do. We bless them on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. So our Torah portion for this week is Tetzaveh. We're in the midst of the book of Exodus. And in the course of our story, Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving all of these instructions on the construction of the tabernacle and the establishment of a priesthood. Our Torah portion begins uh, here toward the end of chapter 27 in Exodus at verse 20 and extends uh, through chapters uh, 28 and 29 and all the way to the middle of chapter 30. And there's lots of different things that I could home in on on the first five with only a couple of minutes to touch on uh, the aspects of this Torah portion. We have the establishment of the priesthood, the garments of the high priest, how beautiful and gorgeous those are, and the, um, the anointing of Aaron and his sons to be priests. And talking about anointing uh, is something that's very important for those of us especially who believe in the Messiah, the fact that the high priest was called the anointed one, the anointed priest. In fact, he was rarely referred to as the Kohen Hagadol, which would mean the high priest or the great priest. But instead, Aaron was always referred to as Hakohen Hamashiach, which is the anointed priest. And that the fact that the role of the high priest ties directly into the role of Yeshua in our lives, that when we became believers for the very first time and we invite Yeshua into our hearts, into our fleshly tabernacle of our chest, that we, he is, plays the role of the high priest going into the holy place because he is the anointed one who is the intercessor between us and God. That's always been one of the things I'm most passionate about when talking about the priesthood and the high priest, and that'll, that'll preach any Saturday or Sunday uh, that you choose. The thing I want to focus in on today is um, back to the very beginning and start of our Torah portion, where we have a couple of verses at the end of Exodus chapter 27, very specifically talking about the bringing of olive oil for the burning upon the menorah in the sanctuary. I took a look at what Dr. Deb's message was going to be today, talking about love hurts, and that this was something I wanted to focus in on because when you're taking a look at just these couple of verses, talking about the pressing and the creation of olive oil, does it have incredible implications for us and for the believers? 
Exodus 27 at verse 20, it says this, You shall command the children of Israel that they shall bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually in the tabernacle of meeting, outside of the veil, which is before the testimony. Aaron and his sons shall tend to it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. This commandment about fuel for light so that there might be light in the sanctuary of the Lord at all times, continually. Of course, for us, we need to have the light of the Lord and the Messiah and his spirit inside us and in our hearts continually burning before him. So many times we get caught up day to day in our lives and we let the light go out. As much as the old little, uh, the old little song we used to always sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's exactly what this, I mean, the origin of that song, as far as I'm concerned, from a messianic mindset, is about the lighting of this menorah and letting that light continually burn in the sanctuary of God and that we have to continually have that light burning inside of our hearts where we have invited the Lord to dwell. But we have to provide the fuel. It doesn't burn on its own. The commandment was to the children of Israel. It's not that God miraculously made this fire burn at all times. No, the people of Israel had to bring the fuel. They had to produce it. It says, bring, you shall bring pure oil. That means they had to press the olives to get the oil. It wasn't just bring olives and then the priesthood had the job of pressing it and turning it into oil. No, the children of Israel had to go through the effort to produce the oil that was to burn. It wasn't what God commanded that he was going to do something for him or make this process maybe a little bit easier. For those of us that know, it is difficult to keep that light burning sometimes. You got to work at it. You got to press and you got you to refine the fuel that ensures that that light continues to burn. Olives are fascinating when you talk about them. How you actually get oil, I always love, that if you've ever had the chance either to go to Israel and learn about this or that you maybe you've studied it on your own, the whole thing about the production of olive oil is fascinating. The fact that you have these olives that come off of the tree, uh, rabbis actually say there's three different grades of olives that come off of every single tree. There's the olives that are at the top of the tree that see, get the most sun, the olives in the middle of the tree that only get a little bit of sun, and the olives at the bottom of the tree that basically grow in the shade. And then there's three different presses of oil that whenever you press olives, the first press is the first clean press, which is pure oil, extra virgin olive oil, if you will, and that that is one of the best oils that was only allowed, that anointing oil can only be used that kind of oil. Why? Because there's no flesh of the olive anywhere in that oil. And in the case of anointing, we have no spirit of flesh dwelling in the one who is the anointed one. So no flesh of the olive ends up in that oil. The second press produces that middle grade of olive oil that some uh, pulp ends up in that. But what it's best used for can be used for food and usually used for fuel as well. Clean burning in your oil lamps. The last and third press creates this silty, uh, uh, tons of olive pulp ends up in it, but it's still a usable resource that comes from the olive, and the most common use for that would be the making of soap, which is, of course, the role, and all of those different applications of olive oil is all the roles that Yeshua plays for us, where he is the anointed one. He nourishes us with food. He fuels us and gives us life each day. He is also the one that makes us clean and holy and pure. 
That is the role of the anointed one, all through the learning of the grades of olive oil that is produced from olives. Now, the diff three different presses times three different types of olives. There's actually nine different types of grades of oil that some might say that there is. There's also lots of different types of people that are all in different, have different levels of pureness and, and, and how God sometimes sees us in that way. Does the olive like it when oil is pressed out of it? Of course not. It hurts. It has to get crushed. It has to get pressed. It is, it is oppressed before the goodness of the olive can come forth, before that fuel can be made. In the same way as why God sometimes allows us to struggle in our lives, facing trials, tribulations, feeling like we've been pressed, oppressed, struggling with things. That's because the Lord is testing us, refining us like gold and like silver so that the goodness that is inside all of us can come out and be used for the benefit of others. You do not get the goodness of the oil from the olive without it being pressed and crushed. So if you're ever in a point of your life in which you're feeling oppressed and crushed and, and, and the Lord is testing you and, and putting a trial before you, know that the Lord is trying to draw that goodness out of you. It's not easy. It doesn't feel good sometimes. But if you continue to pray that the Spirit of the Lord, if the Lord's will is surrounding you, surrounding your life, then you know that he, being the master of the universe, the anointed one, he knows what he is doing when he is trying to draw that which is good out of his people. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, for choosing us from among all peoples. We submit to you, O Lord, the anointed one, Father, that you have sent your son, the Messiah, Lord, to be, he was pressed and he was crushed for our sins, for our mistakes. But because of that sin, because of that sacrifice, could the goodness of eternal life and the fulfillment of God's, uh, of your covenant with Abraham, Lord, that all the families of the earth might be blessed, that by that pressing, by that crucifixion, Lord, does goodness come forth the goodness of eternal life and all blessings that you give to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for that sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, for even the trials and the struggles and the tribulations that we face at times, Lord, knowing that you are in the business of refining your people, testing your people, Lord. May we never look back to you, Lord, and test you. For the olive father never looks at the mill or the press and tries to test the press because it always loses. May we not look to you and test you, Father, for you are the one who tests us. But, Father, may we come out of that testing and those trials and those tribulations, Father, with goodness, with faith, faithfulness, Lord, knowing that you had a plan and a purpose for us in all things, in all aspects of our lives. Father, I pray that you would just guide us and strengthen us through all the things that we face day in and day out. Father, use us mightily, Lord. Pour us out as a drink offering for those in our, in our families and in the community, Lord. And use us mightily, Lord, for we are the clay. You are the potter, Lord. And may you surround us in your perfect will in all things. We give you all the honor, glory, and praise in this place. It's in your son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Shabbat shalom. Oh, what a beautiful day in Oklahoma. I can't believe it. 
I'm going to have to quit coveting California, I guess. <clears throat> the weather is absolutely gorgeous here. I'm starting to love it. I'm confessing positive things right now, calling things that are not as though they really are. <laughs> because why? That brings us happiness and that brings us joy. What I really felt on my heart to talk about today is Love Hurts. Now there was a song, and I think it was in 1979, and the group was called Nazareth. And so probably a lot of you haven't heard the song. Some of you are nodding out there, yeah, Love Hurts. You know, it was a really kind of a rocky kind of song, you know. And I have not, since I've been studying, you know, about what it's like to be a disciple in the first century. I know a lot of you might have been here last time that I was here to speak. And I talked about what it meant to be chosen by the Messiah, which is an honor that we have because he sees in something in us that's not in ourselves, that we don't see in ourselves. But I want to I touch on something about love hurting. I, I'm going to date myself again. I'm going to go back when I was a kid. Um, the kind of discipline I usually got was with a belt. Anybody can relate to that in here? Most people in this generation, believe it or not, can't. You know? I remember one time when, when Chris was little, and I was watching him, and he was being a, little cha a lot challenging that day. And I said, Chris, do you want me to get a belt? Get the belt? And he just looked at me. He was probably about three years old. And he goes, why do you want a belt? <laughs> Had no concept of what I was talking about. Uh, me, on the other hand, when I was a kid, that struck terror into my heart. And I knew that something that I really didn't like was coming. My dad would say to me, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you. Well, being the sarcastic person that I am, it started at an early age. And I would think to myself, well, give me the belt and we'll test this theory. <laughs> of course, I never said that out loud because it would have fared a lot worse for me had I actually spoken that out loud. My mom, however, was a little bit more biblical in her approach to discipline. She would make me get my own switch. She would send me out to the yard to get a switch. So I had to pick up my own torture stake, so to speak, and pick it out myself. Being the kind of child I was, which you can understand now why you probably needed a belt and a switch, um, I would either bring her a twig that I knew wouldn't hurt, it would be so light and small, or I would bring her practically a branch that I knew she couldn't hit me with, right? And all I was trying to do was delay the inevitable. I knew what was coming, and I knew it was going to hurt. Now, my parents you know, were not abusive at all. You know, they weren't, you know, trying to be mean to me. The whole object wasn't to hurt me. The object was they loved me and they wanted me to grow up 
to be a productive member of society, one who was studious, one who did things the right way and treated people rightly. And so, therefore, that was discipline. I can tell you, growing up, I can remember how love hurt. But it was still love. It wasn't meant to cause me harm. It was meant to correct some bad behaviors that I had. Proverbs 13.24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son. Well, what that means is, he who, spare, who, he, he who spares the rod, and by the way, I did look up rod in the original Hebraic language, and it doesn't mean an iron rod that you're going to go beat your kid with. It, is, it can be a twig, or like my mother did. That's why I said she took more of the biblical approach, a switch. But it was a, a, a way to discipline a child. And if you used that switch, what it's really saying here in Proverbs 13, 24 is, he who spares his rod loves his son less. Now I'm paraphrasing that in, in, in a way that we can really understand it in in the century we're living in. But he who loves him more, or loves him, it says in actual, but it would really mean he, he who loves his son more will discipline him promptly. Isn't that interesting? Now I know the kids that are in here are probably going to say, shut up, Dr. Deb. Don't give my parents any ideas. But it's not just children that get disciplined. If you look in Job, the fifth chapter, the 17th verse, it reads, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise chastening of the Almighty, for he bruises, yikes, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. Isn't that interesting? I used to tease my mom and dad because I can remember going to school sometimes and I'd have a switch marks on me somewhere. And I used to tell them, you know, you, you guys would just now be getting out of prison if you lived today, you know, <laughs> because it's against the law, you know, to actually discipline your child in some, well, of course, I, I'm speaking as a f former Californian. But not only does love hurt, and this is something you have to remember, true love can hurt from time to time, but it also restores. True discipline is love that restores you to holiness, to becoming more and more like the Messiah, because the love of Messiah restores. But sometimes, in order to be like Him, because we were chosen by Him to be like Him, we have to kill our flesh. We have to pummel and beat our flesh into submission sometimes. 
I know I have done things sometimes where I didn't really want to. Anybody been there? But it was the right thing to do, and I knew it was the right thing to do, and I almost had to grit my teeth to do it. You know, we think we are not offended with somebody until we are in a supermarket or somewhere and we see that person walk up the aisle and then we run to another aisle because we don't want to see them. Well, why wouldn't you want to see somebody that you've truly forgiven? Because we have those recesses in our hearts that if we're not careful, we can leave a hook. Does that make sense? And when you don't forgive somebody and you don't love people the way Messiah loved you and the way he loves us, what happens is we leave this little hook in there that the enemy can plant a root or a seed of bitterness that will actually destroy you at some point in your walk with Messiah. I had an interesting conversation. I think you guys would enjoy Stephen and, and my conversations sometime. But I did have an interesting conversation with him. And, um, of course, both of us being psychologists, um, we, we kind of ask each other questions. How do you see this? How do you see that? Why do you think that is? Why? You know, because you can... Let me tell you something. We are a complicated breed of people. You can make your whole life studying human nature, studying man's behavior, and still not understand why people do some of the things they do. And so I was asking him, I said, you know, I've noticed, you know, through the years I was a pastor and I've been, you know, a counselor and whatnot, that people sometimes that took on somebody else's offense, hear me out here, have a harder time letting go of that offense than the person who actually got offended. Have you ever noticed that? Somebody you can tell something to, well, this person did this to me, or they did that to me, and do, do, do. And then that person gets more offended than you ever were and can actually hate that person. And I, I, so I was asking Stephen, I said, gosh, why do you think that is that a person that has a second-hand offense, let's call it that, is more offended than the person that actually it happened to. And so we're kind of bannering back and forth a few ideas, throwing them out. And what we came to the conclusion, which isn't a dead bang, this is, this is it kind of thing, but it kind of helps explain, is that the person that was offended may have been overreacting at the time, their emotions were engaged, and so when they're telling the other person, they may blow it up a little bit out of proportion, make it worse than what it was, so the person that hears it secondhand develops more of an offense because they look at that person a whole lot differently than what actually happened. So the person it actually happened to can forgive easier than the person that hears it secondhand. Wow. Is that a call to keep your mouth shut? Because what we tell people about somebody else can actually cause that person to have a root or a seed of bitterness that can destroy them. One thing that Yeshua commanded us to do 
is in John 13, and I'm going to kind of highlight some of this. A new commandment, he says, I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, most of us that have made a study also of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures know that that's not a new commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, it's a very old commandment. So what was new about it was, notice he says, he's talking specifically to his chosen ones, and he says, love one another as I have loved you. The way Messiah loves us is far more extraordinary than any love up until that point that had ever been displayed to humanity. He was telling his chosen ones, you're going to see something in the next few days that is going to jar you to your soul, but it's love. It's love. He chose them because he saw in them, he sees in us, that we could be like him. Remember, to be chosen was a special honor in that time. They weren't seeking him, as he said, I chose you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. Well, if a rabbi chose you at that time, that was a special honor because that rabbi saw potential in you that you could do things, that we could overcome the world. That's what he saw in you and me, because he chose us. Why? To be ordinary? No, to be extraordinary. He chose us to love with a deeper kind of love than humanity had ever seen or witnessed up to that point. Is that the kind of love that we show to each other? I mean, do people say, wow, do you see how those people love each other at HFF? They must, they must know something we don't know. I've never seen such love. That's what he wants from us. He wants such a supernatural love that as Ephraim was saying, and I loved Ephraim's first five because it just flowed right into this so beautifully. He wants us to love so that the world may know. He, what does he say? If, he said, by this all will know that you are my disciples. With a kind of an extraordinary love that mankind has never witnessed before. Oh dear God, help us to be that. Help us to be that. I love that they were bringing up people or asking people to come up and pray. You know why? Because we need the prayer of agreement. All of us have things that we have difficulty letting go of. This is a time of Passover. This is a time we're coming up on that we should be getting the leaven out of our lives. We should be looking for it, identifying it, getting with brothers. It's good to to confess your sins one to the other. 
Get rid of it. Don't hold on to it. Even if someone has odd against you, what did Yeshua say? He said, if you bring your gift to the altar and, and your brother has ought against you, just leave your gift there and go make peace or restoration with your brother. He didn't say if you have ought with a brother. He said if a brother has ought with you. We are to love our enemies. He said, what good is it if you just love those who love you back? Doesn't the world do that? But he said to love those who even hate you, use you, take advantage of you. That's the kind of love that has never been seen on the planet until Yeshua arrived. When he came in the flesh, we saw the heart of the Father who loves us more than we could possibly love ourselves. To love each other is a test of how much we love God. Ooh, ouch. But that's the truth. What does that look like? Well, in, in Hebraic understanding, love is not a noun, it's a verb. Now we look at it in our modern culture more as a noun. Like love is something. It's this thing I have one day or I may not have it the next. Honey, I don't love you anymore. No, you have chosen not to love me anymore. It was a choice because love is action. It's doing something. No one showed the depths of true love more than our Lord and our Messiah. He set the example for believers to show love to each other and to the world by what he did. If in John, 1 John 4, it says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must. Ooh, it didn't make it an option. Oh, I can either love you or not. No, there's no option here to opt out. It's he must love his brother also because in laying down our life and laying down our flesh to love someone is it a model that he established for us that truly believe in him and it's not an easy model to follow it hurts it hurts I went up to prayer because there's something that I needed to have agreement with, you know, because love hurts. And sometimes you need to have someone agree with you that you can get rid of that. I've been praying this last couple of weeks, God, show me anybody 
that I have aught with that I don't even know I have aught with anymore. And you know what? I had a dream one night about this person from way back when, and I saw myself there, and I realized, oh my gosh, when I woke up, I knew that he'd brought that dream to me. And it was somebody that I needed to release. He's faithful. He took on our sins. During this Passover, we're supposed to clean the leaven out of our house. Well, this is our house. This is our temple. It's not just our physical house that we're cleaning up. It's our spiritual house where God wants to live and dwell. And he can't live and dwell inside of us and live big in us and move in us with supernatural power if we've got lumps of leaven everywhere. He was the unleavened bread. That's why he compared his body to the bread at Passover. It's the only time of year that they ate unleavened bread. Why? Because he had no leaven in him. He had no sin in his life at all. And yet he compared it to this bread because it was unleavened and said, this is my body that I give for you. And now, Lev, and now um, matzah, and it's funny because the rabbis thought all of this up to do it, has holes in it and stripes. Because he was wounded for our transgression. And by his stripes that he received were healed. And they don't even know it. When they, whoever was the design, whatever rabbi, because it all has to be blessed, that designed the, the design on matzah right now is a perfect picture of our Messiah. So as believers, we should rejoice in Passover because it was salvation to the Jews and it's salvation to you and me. The blood of the lamb on the doorpost is as relevant as the blood of Messiah because it all means salvation and deliverance and freedom from bondage. He was the unleavened bread. But guess what? On every Erev Shabbat, every Friday night, what do we do? We bless the risen bread and lift it up. Because he didn't stay in the grave. We raise up as we bless the bread. Because the bread, the bread still represents our Messiah. Who took on our sins. And was raised up. The, symbol of, the symbolism is astounding. Why? Because... Our Lord and Savior and King put it in the hearts and minds of some of the rabbis to do it this way. Isn't that awesome? Do it this way. Why? Because one day you're going to wake up and you're going to realize I'm the Messiah and you're going to go, Oy vey! This is the one we pierced. This is the unleavened bread. They're going to get it. 
But the important thing right now is for us, do we get it? Paul even told us how to celebrate Passover. Did you know that? It's what I'm talking about this morning. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. He said, your glorying or your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. That's how we become unleavened, because he took on our sin. He took on every sin that ever was to the end of time. Can you imagine? And then in verse 8, he says, Therefore, this is Paul's instructions, Therefore, let us keep the feast. He's telling us, yeah, we need to keep the Passover feast, but how do we keep it? Not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Because before we celebrate Passover, we need to make sure the leaven is cleared out of our hearts. Does that make sense? We can't be unleavened as long as we're hanging on to leaven. We can't be a model of the body of Messiah unless we've suffered with Messiah. There were seven ways, and I'm going to go through these quickly because I want to get to something here. And I'm just really kind of laying a foundation right now so that we all understand you know, during this spring feast, you know, oh, I love Passover so much. It's one of my favorite feasts. Not so much the seven days of unleavened bread. Remember, they had to eat, you know, we have to eat that. And, uh, but as we eat it, we're commanded to eat it. It says to eat it those days, right? So what do we do? Kind of what most people do. We kind of try to dress it up as much as we can. Make matzah pizza. Make matzah peanut butter on top. Or whatever we can because it's, it's dry. And I don't know of anybody that really loves matzah. So we make matzah ball soup. We do this and that in order to fulfill the commandment. To... Yeshua didn't have that luxury. He had to deal with it. And it was very distasteful. So while the Israelites waited at the door and they didn't have time to put leaven in, the fulfillment of that is Yeshua decided not to put leaven in also so that he could take on our leaven and our sin. So seven things uh, Yeshua, since he's the model here, showed love. In Matthew 14, 14, and I'm going to go through these scriptures quickly. When Jesus landed on the shore, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Compassion. See, we need to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that when we see someone sick, 
or we see someone suffering, our compassion moves us to pray for them. And it's not just physical healing. It's spiritual healing, emotional healing. we got a lot of sick people out in the world. We need His Spirit in us to have compassion. The second one, Jesus wept. Once more, He was deeply moved when He saw the tomb of His friend Lazarus. And there was a stone at the entrance. Why was he so moved? He knew he was going to resurrect him because he loved people so much. He knew they were hurting. He knew that death was an enemy that he was going to have to take to the cross with him. He, he knew and understood what it meant to die. And what it meant when people would see Lazarus resurrected. And maybe he looked forward to the day when that would happen. But it's the shortest scripture where it just says, Jesus wept. Number three, Jesus called his disciples to him and it says, I have compassion for these people and they have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. He fed those who hungered. He fed those who hurt. Both spiritually and physically he fed them. So he's showing us to lay down our lives to be able to feed the poor. To go visit those in the hospital. Isn't that the ones that he said come to my right hand? Because if you've done it to the least of my brothers, you've done it for me. Because love was action. Number four, when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. What does that mean for you and me to follow the model of our Messiah? It means we need to be making disciples we need to be telling people of this great love of our Messiah that he has for us. Number five, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out spirits with a word. We're to drive out the evilness of this world. To set the captive free. You may, have to call, you may have to pray for somebody that's demon-possessed sometimes. They did. The first century believers did. Yeshua did. because, And they were following his model. Did they do it in their own power and might? No, they were so full of the Spirit of God that they had the ability. Even demons recognized them. Because... You know, when somebody tried to pray, I, I can't remember all the names, but um, I'm having a Joe Biden moment. Uh, <laughs> they, um, when they, when they, when he said to them, um, you know, they, they uh, oh, the demon said back to Paul, I think it was Peter, I can't remember. But anyway, you know, this one, or the, no, it wasn't. 
It wasn't Paul. It says, Peter I know, Paul I knew, you I don't know. The demons recognized who had the power and the spirit of God. And number six, my prayer is not, and this is in John 17, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through that message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Is that our prayer? Do we pray to be one with our brothers and sisters, no matter if they're meeting here on Sunday, meeting here on Saturday, whatever day they're still our brothers and sisters? Do we want to be one with them? Or do we try to divide ourselves off and say, well, I have this understanding and you have that understanding. Seriously? Really? Do you think that was ever important to the Messiah? Yeah, we're to keep his commandments, but we're not to judge others. That's not our jobs, to go out and judge the world. Our job is to be the light and the oil that Ephraim was talking about, to be the anointed of God that brings light into the dark places. That's our job. Not arguing and nitpicking each other. Well, I believe this and I believe, well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Silas, you know, and ch-ch-ch-ch. That's not the way. One of the last prayers he prayed was, Father, make them one as you and I are one. And number seven, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you think when he saw Yeshua suffering, he felt like, oh son, this is hurting me more than it is you. And we look at Yeshua's suffering. Do you not think the Father suffered too? But why did he suffer like that? Because of you and I. So that we could have eternal life. There is a cost more than we will ever comprehend. And I'm going to read about it right now. In Mark 14, 32... Then they came to a place that was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay and watch. Now, what was he talking about? Well, in Exodus, the 13th chapter, after the Passover dinner, there was a night of watching. They watched all night, just as they did in Egypt when the blood was over the doorpost and they watched all night and they could hear the cries of people that had lost their firstborn and they were probably sweating it out, wondering, is he going to pass over? Is it really going to pass over? Is this real? Is the blood of the lamb really going to be the salvation for me and my family? Don't we ask the same thing? Is it, is it, is it real? Is he my salvation? 
for myself and my family. And it says in verse 35, he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. His humanity was screaming out at that moment. Father, it's possible that I don't have to drink this cup. Because all things are possible. If, it, if it's at all possible, I can't drink this cup. Why? I want to read something. Um, I looked it up. And when he says that he began troubled and deeply distressed, what that meant was he was thrown into, oh, this is from the Strong's Concordance, 1569, if you'd like to look it up, thrown into terror, to alarm, thoroughly, to terrified, to be terrified. This, this doesn't even translate right in English because there's no translation for that Greek word that explains the terror that he had. Such terror. But didn't he know he, this was coming all along? That he came to earth for this purpose? Yes, he did, but at that moment, he was fully God and fully man. And in his humanity, he felt what that was going to be. Could it be at that moment that he remembered the blood covenant that he'd made with Abraham as he walked ankle deep in the blood of those animals that caused Abraham to faint out of sheer terror because he knew that in a blood covenant, if you broke the covenant, you would become like those animals that were cut in two. Could it be that he remembered that because he was the one who went before him and said, was he seeing the stripes, the whipping, and the beating, and his flesh being pulled off of his back? And the pain of all of that? At that moment, in his humanity, he was under such intense pressure that the capillaries in his face broke and he sweated blood. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been scared to death before. Well, not really to death, but I've been really terrified and I've been really scared and I've never had one capillary in my face break. The pressure he was under, like the oil, like the olive, to produce light for you and us. It had to compress him to the point that he even said, even unto death, I'm so terrified right now. Can you watch with me and pray for an hour? And they couldn't. They didn't comprehend what he was going to go through. We don't comprehend what he went through for us. When he cried out to God, 
At that last Passover, he did not drink the cup of protection. There's four cups during Passover that you drink. One of them is the cup of protection. Because he couldn't be protected from what was coming. So he left that cup aside. So now he must drink what is known in scripture from Jeremiah as the fifth cup. The cup of wrath. The cup of wrath for every sin, every covenant that, that God's people broke with them. Every time they, they went to serve foreign gods and false gods and committed adultery and committed murder and, and did all horrendous things were coming upon him. And he felt the burden and the weight of that. For centuries, they had debated on whether to put the fifth cup, the cup of wrath, in the Passover celebration. Well, the rabbis couldn't come to an agreement. If you've ever read some of their midrashes, you know, this was a, a, a subject for centuries. And they couldn't come to agreement what to do with that fifth cup. So you know what they did with it? They made it Elijah's cup. And they said when Elijah comes, he'll tell us if it's supposed to be in the Passover or not because they couldn't agree on if a cup of wrath should be in the Passover. Yeshua knew he was going to drink the cup of wrath. And when he was in the garden and he said, let this cup pass before me. But if not... Let your will be done. He knew at that moment he was going to have to drink the cup of the wrath of God throughout eternity. All of the wrath that had been stored up for you and I, he drank it. When he finished drinking the cup on the cross, he said, it is finished. He drank every last drop of what we deserved, not what he, des what he deserved at all, at all. In Jeremiah 25, the cup of wrath, for thus says the Lord God of Israel to me, take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send it to drink it. And they will drink and stagger and go mad because the sword that I send against them. This is what he drank for us. He drank it for you, and he drank it for me. And this is the kind of love he had. Wow. Just let that sink in for a moment. Wow. The laying down his life kind of love when he was blameless, the taking of our shame kind of love, the kind of love that hurt kind of love. Why is it important to remember before Passover? He paid a great price kind of love for us to remember. And it all comes together the deliverance, the freedom from bondage, the blood of the Lamb, 
is our salvation too. And it unites us with our Jewish brothers. And we have a different, more spiritual maybe understanding of it. But it's still about salvation. It's still about deliverance. And it's still about freedom. And that's why we love like Yeshua loved. We need to learn to be that kind of person. Amen? Amen. If we could all rise, please. spoken to Moshe and said, tell Aaron and his sons, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom. Thank you for joining us for this week's Shabbat live stream. We pray that the teachings and the worship were edifying to you, but most importantly, that they lifted up and blessed the Lord because He has blessed us beyond belief. Even the ability to be able to be speaking to you today, no matter where you're at, it's a blessing. And we, we cannot thank the Lord enough for that. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, or you would like to give towards our widows and orphans and community funds to help those who are less fortunate, you can do so by visiting HebraicFamily.com. None of our staff takes any types of salaries or stipends, and all of the money is put back into furthering the work of the kingdom for the Lord. May Yeshua the Messiah bless you on the Sabbath. We look forward to seeing you next week. Shalom.